Good morning, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, this month marks the 50th anniversary of the Clean Water Act. Created in the wake of Cleveland's infamous River Fire, half a century later, significant challenges still remain in protecting and providing a safe water supply to all Americans. We'll take a closer look. Also this morning, slavery and the Underground Railroad create a backdrop of mystery and intrigue in the new young adult novel, Sid Johnson and the Phantom Slave Stealer. And speaking of books, Library Director Sarah Clevenance will give us details on October programs at the Findlay Hancock County Public Library, along with information from the annual Ohio Library Council Convention. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, October 3rd, 2022. Today is Look at the Leaves Day. If you look at the leaves, you'll notice they're now starting to get a little bit of color in some spots. Um, Most of the leaves still green, but it won't be very long now that the colors will start to pop. So look at the leaves day today. It is National Boyfriend Day, National Butterfly and Hummingbird Day. National, you have to say it the right way. National Butterfly and Hummingbird Day. National Caramel Custard Day. National Family TV Show Day. National Techies Day. It is National, I thought this was interesting, it is National Virus Appreciation Day. And that may sound a little strange. Virus Appreciation It's Day to appreciate the danger that viruses pose to human health. We're talking about uh, viruses that can infect your body, not computer viruses and so on. And it is Blue Shirt Day. Uh, Everybody encouraged to wear blue to highlight bullying prevention today. So that's the idea. So uh, originating the show this morning, once again, from the home studio, I don't know why I'm just I'm feeling a little under the weather this morning. Not not sick necessarily, but maybe feeling like perhaps I kind of overdid it for the weekend. You know, I had so many things going on this weekend that uh, it, it just felt last night when I plopped down, finally plopped down on the couch <laughs> to just catch my breath after a long weekend. And I felt kind of, Bleh. you know, you've ever had that, those weekends where at the, at the end you think, man, I just... Not really ill or anything, just a little under the weather, I think, maybe from overdoing it the weekend. So we're kind of hunkered down in the bunker today. And uh, the uh, big uh, story, did you uh, notice it was rather breezy over the weekend? Had some clouds, had a little bit of a breeze. That was pretty much it for us from the remnants of Hurricane Ian. A few clouds, a little bit of a breeze, and that was pretty much it. Didn't even get any rain out of uh, all of this. But of course, um, in some parts of the country, most notably Florida, parts of Florida, absolutely devastated, continued to see some of those incredible pictures and video coming out of Florida. The fifth, it turns out it was the fifth strongest storm to hit the United States, Hurricane Ian was. Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, and Virginia, the most impacted states, And in case you are wondering what is the best way to help, the Florida Disaster Fund, Save the Children, and the American Red Cross are three of maybe the the best organizations to 
donate to, and you can donate online to all of those. The Red Cross also urging those uh, in unaffected areas to donate blood to benefit uh, those who were impacted. Feeding America and Project Hope also distributing food, water, medical supplies, and hygiene kits to those in affected areas. So those are a couple of other good charities to uh, help out if you're wondering, how can I help? There you go. Uh, new uh, saber-rattling by Russia in their war against uh, Ukraine is uh, also been in the news over the past uh, several days. If you're uh, renewing fears, the, you don't know if you've been paying attention, uh, renewed fears over the weekend that uh, uh, Russian President uh, Putin may use the nuclear option and not in the figurative sense. What you know might they do? Uh, so he's talking um, maybe uh, nuclear weapons. It's getting very scary once again. But thank goodness I saw this story on the uh, Newswire this morning. Rachel Ray is taking her cooking show to Ukraine. <laughs> it says the uh, daytime talk show host is planning to head to Ukraine to record some shows there while the country continues to take fire from Russia. In an interview, Rachel Ray said they plan on going to an orphanage that doubles as a church and school to help build out their kitchens while making the children meals, which is very, very nice thing to do. But <laughs> to frame it, we're going to record our the the Rachel Ray talk show uh, there in uh, Ukraine. <laughs> so I'm sure Ukrainians everywhere are like, hey, this whole thing has been worth it. We've got Rachel Ray coming. <laughs> uh, the uh, Rachel Ray show uh, has been, I guess they've been uh, operating in a hybrid model. For a while, she was doing her show at home, as many uh, entertainers were. Uh, but now she's doing a hybrid. Half of the show is done in the studio, and the other half is filmed from her uh, home kitchen. But she's going to Ukraine. So big news there. <laughs> Could we be any more excited? Uh, I don't know if you, speaking of food, I don't know if you happen to see this. I'll, I'll throw this out here as one of the most uh, important uh, stories to start your morning. Very important for you to know. A Michigan-based company, Old Europe Cheese, is recalling two of its varieties over listeria concerns. Uh, Brie and Camembert cheeses were distributed between August 1st and September 28th. So if you bought any Old Europe cheese, uh, Brie and Camembert cheese, between the 1st of August and the end of September, so the past couple of months, uh, they were sold at a dozen major retailers uh, across the U.S., including Whole Foods and Meyer. So if you have any of those in your kitchen, you might want to uh, get rid of those. Listeria is nothing you want to mess around with. And to point that out. Another football weekend is in the books. Uh, speaking of football, did you happen to see this over the weekend? Ex-NFL player Antonio Brown is back in the headlines. He's in a bit of hot water after reportedly exposing himself to a woman in Dubai. <laughs> A newly released video shows uh, Antonio Brown completely naked in a hotel pool following a woman around while exposing his lower half and making crude jokes. Apparently, this is all on video, uh, although he 
went on social media to defend himself, calling the incident disinformation and insisting that he did nothing wrong. <laughs> There's video of this. Um, the woman was later seen in the lobby, allegedly yelling about the incident. And uh, Antonio Brown asked to leave shortly after, as the hotel had also received complaints about him smoking marijuana in his room. So um, he says he did nothing wrong. But I'm just thinking, based on his past track record, <laughs> who do we believe? Do we believe the woman with absolutely no reason to lie? Or do we believe Antonio Brown with his track record that he did nothing wrong? I know that that's who I believe in that uh, story. <laughs> and uh, I happened to see this. Uh, I thought it was uh, kind of interesting and very appropriate for the beginning of the week. So chew on this. If you're having a bad day on Monday, maybe you're feeling a little bit down, a little bit blue because now we're into the month of October. Uh, it's a Monday. You know, whatever the case may be, whatever the reason, a new study from Queen's University in Belfast uh, finds that dogs can tell when you are stressed out. And so if your pet shows you a little extra love when you are feeling blue, it is because, yes... They can tell when you need a little extra TLC. The study had uh, dogs smell the sweat of various people in various states of being. Some were very relaxed, some were more stressed, and the dogs were able to tell who was stressed with astounding accuracy. It said 93.75% of the time the dogs were able to tell who it was that was stressed out. Uh, Dr. Clara Wilson, or I saw, I'm sorry, she's not yet a doctor. She's a PhD student at Queen's University in Belfast. Clara Wilson says this is the first study of its kind, and it provides evidence that dogs can smell stress from the the... They can smell stress from your perspiration and your body odor. Not that you have body odor, but dogs obviously much more sensitive to this. And uh, so they discovered that, yes, and this has long been theorized, but apparently they've got the proof here that when people are stressed, uh, we tend to release more of the hormone cortisol and dogs can detect that. They say it could be very useful when training service and therapy dogs, which I think they kind of do uh, already. But again, uh, now we have the uh, hard data. So kind of interesting stuff there. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Mostly sunny skies expected today. High in the mid-60s. Partly cloudy tonight. A low around 40. The Finley Police Department believes illegal drugs played a role in a single-vehicle crash on North Main Street. Police say a 24-year-old woman from Finley was driving north in the 1300 block of North Main when she went off the road and crashed into the wall of a flower bed. 
The woman was injured in the crash and taken to a hospital for non-life-threatening injuries. Police said they believe the woman was under the influence of illicit drugs during the crash, and she was cited for OVI and failure to control. Ohio lawmakers are pushing to increase the penalty for swatting, which is reporting a fake crime to elicit a big police response, like what happened at Finley High School and several other Ohio schools a few weeks back. Senator Andrew Brenner, a Republican from Delaware, introduced the bill and says it should be considered a third-degree felony. So that not only law enforcement, but elected officials and others can make a point that, hey, look, if you do this, you can go to jail and you can go to jail for a long time. I'm Tracy Townsend. Ohio's U.S. Senate race appears to be a toss-up as both candidates enter their final stretch of campaigning. The latest polling from Siena College places Democrat Tim Ryan ahead of Republican J.D. Vance by three percentage points in a race once thought to be a safe bet for the GOP. This comes on the heels of two polls that placed Vance ahead of Ryan, one by Marist that showed Vance one point ahead of Ryan, another by Emerson College that gave Vance a four-point lead. The congressman and the venture capitalist are vying for a seat being vacated by a retiring Rob Portman, Daniel Barnett, ONN News. The deadline to register to vote in the November election is October 11th, and election day is November 8th. Friends and colleagues of a local veteran who died by suicide stood silent watch outside the Hancock County Courthouse in his honor. We spoke with Leah Cook from Allen Cramp Wealth Management about the event. Just raising that overall awareness to let the soldiers know that they don't stand alone and we stand with them and it's okay to reach out and ask for help. We're here for them. You can learn more about Silent Watch and see video from this local event on the website. I'm Matt Demchek with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Well, October marks the 50th anniversary of the Clean Water Act, and yet here we are half a century later facing a water crisis in many areas of the country, partly because of drought, partly because of aging infrastructure, and so on. Joining us this morning to talk about protecting waterways and our access to safe water is Mustafa Santiago Ali, Executive Vice President for the National Wildlife Federation. How serious is this crisis? I mean, it seems like everything is a crisis these days. It's a word that is uh, really overused in the media to capture people's attention. So uh, we do see, though, examples of the availability of water reaching crisis levels. Yeah, you know, Chris, it really depends on where you are in the country. You know, we've got, you know, a large part of our country that actually has clean water. You know, lots of work has been done, investments have been made, and then, of course, in a number of our most vulnerable communities, like in Jackson, Mississippi, and Flint, right. Michigan, and Benton right. Harbor, um, you know that there's still a lot of work that needs to be done to make sure that folks have clean drinking water, uh, and that's why it takes all of us coming together to make that a reality. And of course, uh, there's been very much in the news uh, the water crisis uh, out west due to ongoing drought and the effects of a changing climate. Yeah, you know the droughts are, are, are significant. Um, you know, we see some historical droughts that are currently going on. And, of course, when our water bodies begin to shrink out there, you know, and more toxins are in the water. Um, so it's harder to be able to make sure that they're cleaned. Um, so we got to pay particular attention to these sets of challenges that are going on and, and bring forward 21st century solutions and 21st century sets of uh, infrastructure investments to help people to be made whole. And yet, as we mentioned, here we are, the 50th anniversary of the Clean Water Act, um, and, and we're still talking about that. Ostensibly, you know, the, the Clean Water Act, you think, you know, we've 
we've solved this problem in the future of uh, of safe and, and clean water for communities all across the, the country. But I think, as you alluded to, we now need 21st century solutions, whereas the Clean Water Act uh, contains 20th century solutions. Yeah, you know, some of our water infrastructure are over 100 years old in many places across our country, some places a little bit older than that. So anything that, you know, has been around for that long is going to begin to have problems, is going to begin to fail. Uh, in, in our rural communities, you know, often, you know, there hasn't been the investments that are necessary, and sometimes mm-hmm. in our urban centers as well. So, you know, the beauty of this moment is that there's actually some resources out there now, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, the IRA, and a couple of the other things, you know, actually have some dollars in there that can help us to be able to move forward. But is it anywhere near enough? Oh, no. We've got more investments that are going to have to happen. They have to happen in a smart way. Um, And that's why we need folks coming together to identify where the challenges are um, and also to bring forward sets of solutions. You know, and that's the beauty of the Clean Water Act. It's helped us uh, in many instances to have a foundation underneath of ourselves to say that folks can't just dump pollution into water bodies like they used to. Right. You know, when I was I was a small child, you know, my family was in Cleveland. And they used to tell me the stories about the Cuyahoga River or right. Lake Erie becoming a dead lake. Um, so we've got some challenges, but we've also got sets of uh, solutions and opportunities. Which, in front of us. as people know, uh, that was the impetus for the Clean Water Act in the first place. And yet it is a, a piece of uh, legislation is a law that is not without its controversies. In fact, the first case to be heard in the upcoming Supreme Court term is Sackett versus EPA, which will in large measure determine the future of the Clean Water Act by potentially limiting whether wetlands specifically fall under the category of waters of the United States that are protected under the Clean Water Act. Yeah, most definitely. I appreciate you raising that because, you know, that case is about a family who wants to be able to build on a wetland. Now, most folks might not realize that those tributaries, those wetlands play a critical role in us actually having safe uh, and drinkable water uh, because, you know, an acre of wetlands can hold a million gallons of water. It also plays a critical role in some of the floods that are going on. So we want to make sure that those are protected. Uh, and this case will actually bring forward if EPA can continue um, to be able to put in place those regulations and statutes to keep us safe um, or if they will have less authority to be able to do that. But like I said, there are those, uh, and again, we live in a a big agricultural area, and I know agriculture interests are watching uh, this very closely because there are concerns by many that what has, that that, that the definition of waters of the U.S. has been continually expanded and uh, and such uh, under the guise of the Clean Water Act, with the best of intentions. Uh, but it is uh, expanding that into uh, areas that it was not necessarily meant to include. You know, you can you can understand the concern and balancing, uh, you know, m- uh, multiple needs here. Oh, without a doubt, my grandfather was a farmer, um, so I, I completely understand. You know, the challenges that are there um, and the things that folks are trying to actually navigate. You know, but we should also, for the listeners, help them to have a better understanding that when we're talking about these wetlands or these tributaries that, you know, if there are pollution uh, that happens to make its way into that, then that also makes it down into our rivers. Um, So making sure that we have strong protections is incredibly important to make sure that we ultimately have clean drinking water. You know, Congress could have 
dealt with this issue by, you know, making the, the clarity that was necessary for folks. And since they didn't, it got kicked over fair, to the court. Fair point. Um, so now the Supreme Court will. Well, and, and that actually kind of circles back to the, the point that I had uh, making earlier. I mean, you, you we're talking about 21st century solutions that are needed now for the crises that we face now with aging infrastructure, with the effects of, of climate change and, and the ongoing drought and, and uh, the overuse of, the, of water in the, in the West, which is another component of that. Um, and, and here we have a 20th century piece of legislation in the Clean Water Act isn't it uh, really the ultimately time to revisit this and and update it rather than trying to sort out how does this old law impact uh, the needs that we have now? Is it time to and is there any appetite to do that? Well, you know, I'm one who believes that Congress needs to do their job, um, and <laughs> you know, part of part of doing your job is making sure that we have 21st century sets of solutions, and those solutions, some of them will come out of clarity um, around the pieces of legislation that are there. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're going to have to wait and see how this all plays out, and we'll have to figure out you know, how we move forward based upon now what the court shares um, and, and find ways of folks working together. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to us finding opportunities to actually address these sets of issues that we have in front of us. Again, one of the reasons why I would be watching this, the very first uh, case to be heard in this upcoming Supreme Court term, uh, Sackett versus EPA, but again, keeping in the back of our minds that uh, you know what we really need is maybe to completely revisit this, whether or not that's in the offing uh, is anyone's guess. Well, I was going to say it's anyone's guess. I think we can all guess what <laughs> the likelihood of that is. Uh, again, uh, Mustafa Santiago Ali is executive vice president of the National Wildlife Federation. Where do folks get more information on uh, all of this? Well, they can go over to the waltonfamilyfoundation.org uh, slash clean water. Lots okay. of information that's there. Or you can come over to www.nwf.org. And also uh, serves to remind us the importance of protecting our drinking water sources and resources that we do have. Dr. Ali, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, Frances Schoonmaker is a former teacher and award-winning author who shines a light on the issue of slavery and the Underground Railroad in her latest novel for young adults called Sid Johnson and the Phantom Slave Stealer. Frances, where did you get the in, uh, inspiration uh, to write this book? Talk a little bit about the, the background and how it came to be. Well, this is a book the kids ask me to write. Hmm. Um, I, you know, uh, I'm a retired um, academic. And so it made total sense to me when I finished the, you know, what I thought was the final draft of the first book in my trilogy for kids, which was historical fantasy. Mm -hmm. It made perfect sense to pilot it. So I rounded up some willing teachers in different schools, you know, private, public, uh, high intense, urban, mm -hmm. you know, suburban. And, and I had them read the draft to the kids without knowing me. And then I met with the kids. Well, uh, one of the things that absolutely blew me away was that um, they, you know, they loved the book, and I and I and I was really happy about that. I was very excited, uh, probably more excited than even you know any feedback I ever got when I wrote an academic paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> but but they, without exception, they said, "Could you make your next book 
a history that doesn't have any fantasy that takes somebody all the way to California. And, you know, I was trained in historical methodology. I love history. Can you imagine how that made me feel? Oh, yeah. I was yeah. so excited. Yeah, I, I just thought, wow. So what I did was take a character from that first book that I liked a lot but hadn't developed, and I thought, okay, what's his backstory? And, you know, there were a lot of different reasons people went west, so I thought, because there's so much interest in the Underground Railroad right now, I thought, mm-hmm. well, what would happen to a family who was involved with that, you know, and, and what might happen that would make mm-hmm. them make that monumental decision to leave everything behind yeah. and go with? Um, so give us a synopsis of, of the story. Who is Sid Johnson and what is this phantom slave stealer? <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, the the book is set in uh, 1855, 1856, starts in 1855 in Southern Illinois. Um, and I locate it there because it's, um, you know, it, it touches the border states. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of traffic of, of freedom seekers trying to get through to Canada because by the time this book starts, the um, Compromise of 1850 had already been passed, which meant that it was illegal to harbor right. um, freedom seekers. So anyway, so that's part of the background. So uh, Sid is this uh, kid, um, you know, who's, um, you know, in his teens and his parents heard about a phantom slave stealer. So he asks his parents and they said they don't know anything about it. But he discovers that their farm is actually a stop on the Underground Railroad, Hmm. you know, to his amazement. Yeah. So he's not so sure that his parents are really telling him the truth. And, you know, at that age, it's so important, you know, you're starting to question your family's values anyway. Right. So, you know, he's not excited about the possibility of them breaking the law. And and he wonders what will happen if they're caught. So he decides, uh, when he hears uh, bounty hunters threatening, um, his father, he decides he's going to have to do something, you know, find out about this slave stealer and, and do something. He's not sure what it is, but, you know, he begins to make plans. Mm-hmm. But before he, um, you know, he can get any elaborate plan in place, bounty hunters burn the barn. And with the Civil War brewing and um, family in California and uh, being compromised and doing, you know, what they had valued so much, uh, the parents decide to go west and, and he's... Um, mm. Not at all enthusiastic about making a change. Yeah, but uh, so, but he thinks, oh well, this is great because I I don't have to worry about the slave question anymore. Yeah, but he is about to find out that in fact he's not leaving it behind, and he is going to be involved with this phantom, who's someone who is able to help freedom seekers and. He's, you know, he's so good, they call him a phantom. Hmm. So this is, as we alluded to, this is uh, historical fiction. And I guess I really don't have to ask why historical fiction is such a good device to engage young people in this subject. I mean, I learned about the Underground Railroad in school, and this sounds so much more interesting than the stories in a textbook. Well, I hope so. I hope so. Uh, You know, you've got to focus on the story. And if it's a good story both the values that you would hope to, um, you know, uh, to Im- embed in the story and mm. the history itself really come to life. Yeah. I mean, that's the goal. And, and and certainly the underpinnings are true. Obviously, there was an Underground Railroad, and it is certainly not hard to imagine that there were people involved who tried to shield their children from these activities, which, mm-hmm. as you point out, were very mm-hmm. much illegal at the time. 
Yeah, and, and as his parents keep saying to him, you know, it's not that we're trying to hide things from you, but the less you know, the less you can tell. Yeah. And, and you know, and the means that were used sometimes to extract information were not, uh, were, were just unthinkable. Right. So, so how much research goes into the story? I mean, beyond the Underground Railroad itself, which, again, we know is true, how much of the other elements of the story are based in actual history? Well, of course, you know, we, we uh, fictionalize because we're telling a story, but it, it has to be anchored in what actually happened. And, um, or... Uh, be plausible, so it could have happened, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? right? And and uh, and 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 there's no there's no place in the story that you don't have to check and double check yourself because um, you know small details slip up on you and you think, oh, could that really have happened? And I find that I'm still fact checking all through the final proofs of a book because. Um, you know, we take so many things for granted. For example, I wanted to use the term uh, hang out, you know, that the Sid's yeah. going to hang out with some kids. And right. I thought, wait a minute, uh, they didn't use hang out then. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, well, you know, maybe I better find out. So I, you know, tracked down the language. And I found it. You know what? They've been using hang out since the 1700s. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. There's an, an yeah, extra little bonus. There's a little extra bonus little uh, bit of uh, piece of history there. Um, so at the at the end of the day, as we mentioned, the story itself is fiction, and it's important to delineate that. But what what message do you want readers to to take away from the book? I I want people to leave with a feeling of hope. And, and and to understand the importance of kindness and how people struggle then and now to find better ways of being in the world. Um, and in the end, I think I just want it to take the reader on a wild ride. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but that hope and kindness, you know, are, are just so important in how we live our lives today as well as then. Yeah, it's not all that different uh, when you really think about it. Uh, again, the uh, book is called uh, Sid Johnson and the Phantom Slave Stealer. Francis Schoonmaker is the uh, author. Do you have a website where folks can learn more about the book? I do, and it's fschoonmaker.com. And I know Schoonmaker is not the easiest to remember. It starts like school, S-C-H and double O-N. M-A-K-E-R. We will link it up on our webpage as well. Make it real easy for folks to find. Francis Schoonmaker, thanks very much for taking the time. Certainly best of luck with the book. Thanks so much. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Not a whole lot of broken news to uh, lead off the uh, week. It is quality over quantity, to be sure, today, because we've got some good things. And our lead story in the broken news uh, here pretty close to home over in uh, Cleveland, where two pro fishermen are being accused of cheating at the Lake Erie Walleye Trail Championship in Cleveland Harbor. Uh, Chase Kaminsky and Jake Runyon were apparently caught stuffing their fish with lead weights and frozen frozen fish fillets <laughs> to make the catches seem heavier than they were. <laughs> they were stuffing frozen fish fillets in the fish to make them seem heavier than they were, along with the lead weight. Video, video footage shows tournament officials pulling weights 
out of the fish while onlookers were aghast, demanding answers, and even threatening to call police on the whole thing. Um, the string of walleye competition successes for Mr. Runyon and Mr. Kaminsky have been legendary. As a matter of fact, uh, one contestant said that they were told, don't even bother to enter this tournament because if Chase and Jake are in it, nobody else has a chance. Well, now uh, all of that is being called into question. Uh, this time, apparently there have been rumors, and so uh, tournament director Jason Fisher wanted to put his hands on the walleye in uh, Mr. Runyon and Mr. Comiskey's weigh-in bag. And he says, I knew right away that something was very wrong with these fish. Uh, this is according to a story in the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Now the thousands of dollars that these guys have won in prize money from previous tournaments over the years all being called into question. Mm. Is this the Lance Armstrong scandal of the walleye fishing world? Time will tell. Big, big scandal there. <laughs> Stuffing frozen fish fillets in your fish. <laughs> uh, this is our candidate for dumb criminal of the day. And I think he certainly qualifies. 42-year-old Damian Evans is behind bars for forging a $65,000 check at his own bank. Not just the bank where he did his banking, but the bank he worked at. He forged a $65,000 check at the bank he worked at and used it to buy a new BMW. <laughs> Mr. Evans worked at the Cambridge Trust Bank in Boston's Hyde Park. Pretty cushy job until he got the brilliant idea to commit fraud. Mr. Evans forged a treasurer's check and used it to buy a brand new blue BMW X6. Eventually, someone that, someone at the bank noticed a sizable chunk of money was missing from their account and confronted Mr. Evans, who claimed he made the check by mistake and deleted the transaction. But that's not the end of the story. Bank staff did not buy the explanation. Police became involved and a subsequent investigation exposed Mr. Evans' lies. He was fired on the spot and now faces multiple charges, including embezzlement, uh, uttering a false check and forgery of a check. It is difficult to com comprehend sometimes the confidence people have that their schemes will go undetected, particularly at an institution like a bank, where the scrutiny of transactions is routine business, this according to a statement from police. Like most, this scheme fell apart pretty quickly. <laughs> I mean, you know, hey, Damien, you got a brand new BMW. That's pretty, how'd you afford that? You would think that someone would notice these things, and apparently somebody did eventually. Not the sharpest tool in the, in the shed. As they say, meanwhile, in Indiana, 
A woman has been arrested for stealing a hefty amount of money from a farm stand that operates on the honor system. Have you ever seen one of those roadside farm stands that there's nobody there that just kind of operates on the honor system? They're pretty common in Indiana and other states around the Midwest. I've seen a few of them uh, in Ohio here and there. Well, the uh, Greenfield Reporter newspaper, Greenfield, Indiana, says 67-year-old Teresa Lynn Kiner was arrested by the local sheriff's department. By the way, that happens to be Hancock County, Indiana. Hancock County, Indiana. So she was uh, arrested by the sheriff's department there after she stole up to $3,000 from an unmanned farm stand. I've often thought, you know, those things that operate, those farm stands that operate on the honor system, I mean, they probably lose a little bit of product from people who are not very honorable on the honor system, but they, you know, usually most people are, are pretty honest, but $3,000. Ms. Kiner took advantage of the uh, trust of the honor system by rifling through the cash deposit box on several occasions. Not just, to be exact, she did it at least 18 times, and eventually she was caught on security camera. The owner of the stand apparently started to notice that he was being ripped off. And so he installed security cameras and caught on video Ms. Kiner swiping some cash. Uh, he put the video up on Facebook, hoping to identify the thief, uh, hoping to identify the thief. And it turns out that Ms. Kiner was not too happy to see her photo plastered all over social media. <laughs> Believe it or not, this is where the story really gets good. So she, so the, the owner of the stand posted a still from the video asking for help identifying the thief. Well, Ms. Kiner saw it and was none too happy that her photo was plastered all over social media. She actually had the gall to tell the owner to take it down. <laughs> She contacted the owner that she stole from to say, take that, that image down. Busted. She did insist that she didn't steal any money. And then she changed her story, saying that she put $90 back into the money box. Family members, family members identified Ms. Kiner and police stepped in after reviewing the security footage. One instance showed the woman counting out the money that she took out of the box before appearing to make off with it. A warrant was issued for her arrest. Uh, she was promptly rounded up, tried to wiggle out of her arrest by claiming that she had dementia and had no recollection of stealing from the stand. <laughs> Police didn't buy that either. Either, After she was shown the footage, she hung her head. According to the detective's report, she hung her head and said, I don't need to see any more. <laughs> oh, my. There you go. Uh, that is uh, today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news. Brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. 
But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger, put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. This message provided by WFIN. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Have you ever been stuck on hold trying to get a hold of customer service (laughs) or a, uh, a company Uh, You have a a product that's not working, or maybe you're trying to get a hold of a store uh, where you've got, or your credit card company, whatever it might happen to be, your bank. Uh, Customer service, being in customer service purgatory is literally torture. And you are not alone. According to a new survey, the average American spends 42 minutes on hold when trying to uh, call the customer service line and... They, on average, have to make three of those 42-minute calls to resolve the issue that they initially called for. That's a lot of time spent on hold. Uh, 2,000 respondents in the survey also made pretty clear that there is pretty much nothing they would not do to avoid that torture of calling customer service. 30% in the survey said that they would rather do their taxes then have to listen to, your call is very important to us. Please hold the line, you know, on the looping Muzak and all of that. 30% said they'd rather do their taxes. <laughs> 28% said that they would rather visit the dentist than have to deal with customer service. Uh, 25% say that they would rather go to the DMV than wait <laughs> on the phone. said that they would shave their heads. 22% even said that they would rather spend a night in jail. (laughs) It was worse than spending a night in jail. Maybe that's what we should do instead of sending people to jail. Make them call customer service for us. Maybe that would be a better correction. I think we've solved the the jail overcrowding problem. We just have them waiting customer service. 65%. Of those in the survey said that trying to resolve an issue with their cell phone company or their bank just isn't worth it if they have to deal with customer service. 62% say they have stopped using a company that has put them through this kind of tor- torture. They've just stopped. You would have 62%. And 80%, this is an interesting takeaway. And if you are a business owner or manager, make note of this. said that if a company makes it easy for them to deal with customer service, then they have earned their loyalty forever. Sarah Clevidence is uh, with us on the line from the uh, Findlay-Hancock County Public Library. Time to find out more about uh, October programs and events, and a lot of those are going on. We mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, Sarah, you are back, uh, just back from the annual Ohio Library Council Convention, uh, which I know is more interesting for those in the inner workings of the library, I guess, industry, for lack of a better term. But uh, there's always, I would imagine there's always interesting stuff uh, with respect to technology and new things, new ideas, new ways of uh, presenting the library to the communities that you serve and so on that are talked about here at, uh, at an event like that. 
There are, you know, and uh, it's always exciting to see what other libraries are doing. Sometimes I think we get stuck in, in the, you know, what we're, what we've always done, what's worked really yeah. well for our patrons. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's exciting to see the new ideas that are out there and also to share some of the ideas that we have uh, that might work well in other communities. We actually had several of our staff presenting at this conference, which was exciting. Yeah. Uh, and I would imagine that's also where uh, you learn about uh, resources that you can make uh, available. We've talked in the past about some of the resources that you have available uh, on uh, your website, um, you know, learning programs and, you know, that kind of thing. And I would imagine that this is one of those events where you learn more about those resources and how to make them available to patrons. Absolutely. They have a, a large expo hall at this event. So we get to talk to vendors that offer different resources, but also some of those vendors we're already working with. Uh, many of our online databases that our patrons use through our website come from Oplin, and they were one of those vendors that I got to stop by and chat with about what's what's coming up and what's new. Um, it's nice to be able to, to connect with those folks you know, in person. So that way, when we ever have issues or are looking for something new for our patrons, we have a person we can go to to talk to. Yeah. So a lot of things going on behind the scenes. So definitely been a very busy autumn for you already. And we head into the month of October with a lot of things going on. First and foremost, your bookmobile is very busy. It is. This week, we're having bookmobile celebrations at all of our regular stops to celebrate the 75th anniversary of Extension and Outreach Services. So they'll be having uh, games, um, snacks, just special things at each of those stops. Uh, Hancock Public Health will bring their mobile health clinic to join us at the Arcadia and Van Loo stops this week. And uh, looking like it should be pretty good weather all week. So I hope folks will stop out and see us. Now, the complete schedule, in case people are not familiar with when you are uh, at various communities around the area, that's all on the website, right? It is, and this week the the celebrations are also on our calendar, so make it nice and easy for you there. Okay, so uh, do not miss that all this week as the uh, bookmobile is uh, out and about. Lots of things going on in the month of October. You were saying? Yes, it's you know it's fall. We're heading up to Halloween, so we've got you know, a, a cooking class on pumpkins. We have um, I I can't say this one right terrariums. Terrarium, so you got yeah, terrariums, terrariums, right? Terrariums, yeah but, yeah. but replace the first part of that word with terror. So terror-ariums. spooky terrariums for our uh-huh. team. Yeah, right? That's okay. hard to say. <laughs> uh, that is. That is a bit of a challenge. So. Uh, that one's a teen craft, so you can make a, a spooky little terrarium there for your room. Um, we've got uh, a family night coming up later this month on the art and science of fall leaves. Um and then, you know, lots of our regular things as well. Three virtual author talks this month, um, a program uh, later in October on the uh, gentleman who was mayor of Finley during the Prohibition, mm. um, crafts, book discussions, uh, Bigfoot. Uh, is Bigfoot real? You can learn about that at the library. This always this seems so to be a, this always seems to be a big time of the uh, of the year when you get that uh, interest in Bigfoot. I don't know why. Maybe it's because of the whole tie-in with, you know, the spooky and mysterious of nature of Halloween. I'm not sure what it is, but it always seems like this is a big time for that. You know, I, I think Halloween's a time where people are wondering, is that real? <laughs> Did that really happen? <laughs> 
So again, a uh, lot of uh, programs for uh, kids of all ages, as you mentioned, for uh, ki- uh, for uh, teenagers, uh, for youth, and also a lot of uh, uh, adult programs uh, through the uh, month of October. Definitely going to keep plenty busy. Absolutely. And one big one that I'd like to mention is October 11th is our second annual Human Library. It'll be at 5:30 at uh, the Maza Museum this year. So, for those who stop out. yeah, so for those who are not familiar and they might have heard us talk about this or heard uh, the term, uh, explain the idea behind the uh, Human Library. So the concept with the human library is that we all have a story, right? We all have something that makes us unique. And in the human library, people are the books. So you can check out a book and have a 30-minute conversation with somebody and learn about the world from their perspective, learn about you know, what they've gone through in their life um, that makes them unique. And is this something that folks need to sign up for or is it just a show up and be a part of it or how, how does that all work? Just drop in and be a part of it. It'll okay. be there from 5.30 to 8.30 at the Boston Museum on the University of Finley campus on October 11th. Uh, you don't have to be there the whole time. You can stop in right. and chat with one book or all of them. Hmm. Really fascinating stuff. And uh, again, as you said, everybody has a story and it's a chance to maybe learn a little bit about somebody's story that you wouldn't uh, otherwise know about. Uh, so for that and for all of the other stuff that you have going on, at the library in the month of October, and we kind of hit some of the highlights there. Uh, all of that is uh, on the website. Absolutely, FinleyLibrary.org. And much of uh, much of that is uh, stuff that does not necessarily require registration or you know pre-registration or anything like that, right? That is true. Yes, um, many of our programs don't require registration in okay. advance. Sometimes we do have space restrictions on the room or or. Uh, craft supplies so it's always good to check uh, the program description online very good Uh, we've got the link up for the library website at our webpage you can check that out online goodmornings.net again uh, Sarah Clevidence with the uh, Findlay Hancock County Public Library thanks very much for taking some time this morning we appreciate it thank you and that will finish up our podcast for today thanks again to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning remember you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage of course and that is goodmornings.net we are always on 24 7 on the world wide web you can also connect with us on social media sign up for our daily email newsletter shoot us an email if there's something you want to share with us directly. The links are all right there, goodmornings.net. Until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.